Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. What would you do when you have a cleaner cleaning your house, you come home and you see a non-alcoholic beer on your table while she's vacuuming? What's the next steps there to? Fire her. For what? For non-alcoholic beer? Yeah, if, it was, if there was alcohol in it, I could understand the reason behind <laughs> it. Technically, there's still alcohol in Mosin, isn't there? There's like a 0.05%. Yeah, 0.005, I think. I mean, they're becoming much more popular. Why? Where are you going with this? This happened to my wife and I. <laughs> Actually, we still just think it's funny. It's super funny. Is that acceptable? Is that okay? What happened? I don't know. I think it's acceptable. I just think it's kind of weird. Reminds me of a story back when my lineman days, my 20s, put up a bunch of poles, having lunch around the truck. One of the guys pulls out his lunch bag and opens it up and pulls out a non-alcoholic beer and cracks it at lunchtime. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess technically it's okay. <laughs> like in Europe, they drink like beer and wine with lunch all the time. Let's look at this. If someone brings out an orange juice and they add like a sliver of vodka to it, so then it's that 0.05%. It's the same thing, but you'd probably look at it being like, oh my God, you're drinking on the job. I think the vodka is more alcoholic than the non-alcoholic drink. Yeah, but I'm saying if you do the ratios right. Anyways, <laughs> does your cleaner listen to this podcast? We'll see. We'll <laughs> see if she shows up again. <laughs> oh, man. I just thought that was so funny. All right. Guide us through these appraisals. What's going down here, Taylor? Yeah, so I've had a couple files this month. Appraisals came in so very I. short on a purchase. So we're actually bringing on an appraiser in a couple of weeks. So it'd be good to talk to him about this as well. But essentially, when you purchase a property, let's say the contract's for 500000 most lenders require an appraisal. Sometimes it's a full in-house appraisal. Sometimes it's like a drive-by, automatic evaluation, et cetera. Yeah. One of them was just a straight purchase townhouse or a condo, I guess, in Pendozi, and the appraisal came in way low. So I was able to appeal it and get it to where it needed to be, but I had to show the comparables to bring it back up. The other one was a- You as the mortgage broker or did you get the agent? No, I did. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Multi-talented, hey? You know how argumentative I can be. And then the other one was on a new construction that's completing, well, in a few days, and the appraisal came in way low, like- $60,000 low. So basically 10% low. Fortunately, you know, the client's in a good position and some capital that we can close on it. And we have an exit strategy in the future to kind of switch a few things around. So it's not a problem, but I spoke to the appraiser and he said he did seven of them in that same complex that are closing this month. And all of them are way under appraised value for closing. And I'm thinking like the only reason we could close on it is because when the loan to value drops a certain percentage, you still need the amount of equity required by the lender, right? So if you're doing 20% down payment and the appraisal drops far lower than that, you have to come up with the deficit, right? So if it's short, say another 30, 40, and in our case, $60,000, most clients would have to come up with that 60 grand to close on it. So if there's seven other units in that property that are the same, how many clients can actually close on those? And if they can't, then what are the next steps? That is an issue right now. Oh man, it's it's definitely going to be an issue. But like real estate is priced on comparables. I feel like if there's seven people buying the same product, don't they just compare with each other? That's seven comparables that you have that are paying the right price. Yeah. So these, the contract was written up about a year and a half ago when the market was substantially higher, not substantially, but 
you know, for this specific product, it was higher at the time and the appraiser just doesn't see recent sales that support it. I don't fully agree with him in that respect. I feel they're a pretty good purchase in the area for what they are, for rental income, et cetera. But I mean, a lot of respect to appraisers. They actually have a four-year degree and then, you know, their appraiser education. So they're very well educated and it's a hard career to get into. But yeah, if these aren't meeting where they need to be, it's going to be very difficult for people to close on these, or you're going to see last minute assignments and some potential opportunities for buyers. So I had one as listing agent to deals through now, but appraisal came in low and I was just like, well, just get another appraisal. Is that even possible? Like obviously as a listing agent, I was pushing it, but like. It depends on the lender. Like it has to be a arm's length type of transaction, right? So certain lenders force us to use certain software. Some lenders allow us to pick the appraiser. Some lenders don't because they really want an unbiased opinion because otherwise for sure, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, clients, they could kind of manipulate it and say, well, we need an extra 20 grand for the appraisal to make this work. But yeah, so essentially if you order the appraisal and you're sending it to the lender, which doesn't happen that often, you could review it not send it and order another one. But generally how it happens is that appraiser sends it directly to the lender lender. and the lender communicates back to you. You can then appeal it and show different comparables to try and get it where it needs to be. But you're not going to win that argument every time. Yeah. The buyer has to come up with more money or the seller has to drop the price to come more in the middle or something. Yeah. So basically... That's why we're so stressed about making sure what we call is broker complete before you remove subjects. And usually the last piece to that puzzle is getting the appraisal done. Generally, because we submit to a lender, we get a commitment letter from a lender, and then they can tell us who their approved appraisers are, and then we can choose the appraisal. Where most people think, well, why don't I just order it right away? It's because you're really not allowed to do that. We could, but then you have to pay for a letter of transmittal and et cetera. It's kind of a weird process. So that comes in a little bit later. So when people want to remove subjects early without the appraisal being satisfied in today's market, it's a really bad idea because if it comes in 10% short, you got to have a backup plan how to close on that. Yeah. So you guys were able to get yours done. Yeah. So we came down a little bit, not very much. And they just came up with the extra. Extra cash. Yeah. Yeah, with the extra cash to pay for the difference. It wasn't like 60 grand difference. I think it was like 15 or something like that. But it was enough to okay. to yeah. play with the approval. So we got it done. But I can just see in the future this happening more, especially with the pre-sales you were just talking about. Like there's been a lot of condos being built in Kelowna right now. And I feel like a lot of them are not going to appraise out just because there's so many. The short-term rental thing that we're going to talk about today. I feel like there's going to be an issue. Yeah, so good segue. Today, our guest was Amanda Vanderlee from how to host. Yeah. Huge, huge company in Kelowna, surrounding area. She manages short-term rentals. She has a cleaning company, a design company for interior decoration. She's very involved in that scene. So has been involved in, you know, speaking with the city. I think she said she's set up over a hundred units now on short-term rental platforms. So yeah, great individual to speak to about that. And yeah, that is kind of one of the risks right now is a lot of condos are being built and full of those condos 
are purchased for short-term rentals. And when they're going to close in a year or two from now, what happens to that market if the appraisals don't come in where they need to be or people walk away from the contract or developers sue or, you know, if you have an existing Airbnb that you're looking at selling, but we have another couple thousand units that are coming on the market, how does that look? So it's a bit of a dark road to walk down, but yeah. It's mostly the condo market, right? The condo market is going to be the most affected here. Almost the only market that's going to be affected by this short-term rental. Like the other ones, obviously they're single-family houses too, but it's just not going to have the same effect. Yeah. Like we're building the most condos and the condos are affecting it. Kind of double whammy here with the short-term rental. So it's... Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny to put on my broker hat for a second, talking about yeah. the appraisals with it. There weren't a lot of lenders that would lend to short-term rental units. Okay. So there's yeah. like... Specifically in Kelowna, you have to really know the buildings and who will lend to it. Yeah. It was funny because like anytime you have a call with a client who has an accepted offer on a certain property that's Airbnb allowable in the specific strata bylaws, you'd be like, okay, we got to do this strategy because only this lender will look at it because it's Airbnb allowable. People would be like, that's insane. Like I make more money. It's like, what is the risk to the lender? And lenders would always just kind of high level. There's more of a risk to it. We don't like short-term rentals. We're staying away from it. Well, they were right. Like... <laughs> pretty mind-boggling but like so now i don't know if we're going to be able to finance those with every lender because this you know legislation has been passed or that specific lender is going to now be holding properties that you know they're not happy with because they're probably decreasing in value so also the short-term rentals are kind of new like i was googling this morning and airbnb has been operating in canada since 2009 yeah so like that's not that yeah yeah 15 years you know like it's very fresh so like that's not even one mortgage amortization right so like it makes sense for the lenders to not blend on that yeah you know so like yeah you're right they were right <laughs> okay well anyways it was an awesome show yeah i'd love to yeah. have amanda on feel free to reach out follow her on tiktok apparently lots of good content <laughs> on there maybe help her out get on the tiktok and give her some comments. yeah 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 it was an awesome conversation i think she got the right mindset she's doing the right things she's gonna be okay yeah she's pretty positive and honestly if you're running a business like that with so many moving parts, I feel like you could transition into any kind of business and be successful at it. So yeah, exactly. She's got a few things going on. Obviously knows what she's doing. She'll be a good person to talk to. Okay. Welcome to the show, Amanda from How to Host. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you guys? Doing very good. well. Thanks. Good. good. Yeah. I see you all over the place. It's nice to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. All over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's good, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. physically or where do you see her, Matt? Well, I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, physically sometimes, yes, around Kelowna, but also like around, obviously, your business has been impacted greatly by all these new things going down with the short-term rentals. So yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. seeing you out there. Lots of content. Yeah. Yes. We like to start our show with just what's your perfect Friday look like leading into the weekend? How are you productive at work? And then how do you have some fun? Yeah, yeah, my perfect Friday. Fridays are always very, very busy for us. It's probably yeah. one of our busiest days because it's the check-in day before the weekend. <laughs> so just wake up early, clear head, lots of coffee. Definitely just getting through the schedule, making sure all of our ins and outs are streamlined, inspections are done, you know, all of our special requests and get the workday done, which never really seems to finish, but on a Friday night, I guess, like to go for a walk or a hike or go get a glass of wine with a friend. I'm pretty chill. I don't go out a whole lot. I keep to myself. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
do you take the weekends off? Because I would imagine in your business, like that's the busy time, is it? Or Oh, yeah, there's no time off. It's a seven day a week gig. But the weekends are ruthless. Actually, Saturdays are like, that's when everyone's checked in and things are more flowing. Yeah. Sundays are manic because Sunday checkout days. So no, the weekends are nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Tell us a little bit about your business then. I mean, I'm just assuming most people know you, you know, like Matt said, you're all over the place. But yeah, give us kind of the elevator pitch on what service you provide. Yeah, so we've got a few different things going on. So How to Host is the primary company that started everything and we're full service luxury and niche vacation rental management. We look after absolutely everything on behalf of our owners. We really try and step in as if we own the property, we maintain it, manage it, deal with all the guests, the finances, check-ins, check-outs, you name it. On the outside of that, I've developed How to Style, which is our design company. So we were doing designs in-house under How to Host initially but they're two incredibly different beasts, particularly with the accounting, obviously the the work that's done as well. So we split that out. And then we've got a full service cleaning company that we have as well, Sparkling Stays. And we utilize Sparkling Stays with all of our how to host properties. And we're actually selling that service to other property management companies at this time. Wow. So is your cleaning business just for like STRs or is it for a regular person to hire you or? Yeah, it started geared very much towards short-term rentals. Yeah. In the slow season right now, we've been taking other more commercial work. We do a lot of after movie company cleanups, that kind of stuff. Just really, it's been all word of mouth and people that reach out to us, some residential move-ins and move-outs, which we try and stay away from, but primarily focusing, particularly in the high season on the short-term rental uh, turnovers. They'll keep us busy enough. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How many employees do you have or contractors? You're like, how many people are on the brand team? Uh, between all three companies? Yeah. I mean, because we all work together. There's probably about 15 staff, some more full-time than others. And also how to host is slow right now because it's seasonal. So come high season, we'll have heavier operations and whatnot, but more so the cleaners and the cleaners do a lot of work for me for how to host as well. So we kind of share them between, but yeah, I'd say about 15 or so. Lots of contractors, contracted designers, contracted virtual assistants, contracted maintenance. That's a whole other realm of things though. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's a lot of personnel, your business, them, like everyone's probably pretty affected by the legislation changes that are essentially solidified for this May. Can you give us like a real brief recap? We've spoken about this a couple of times on the show, but just kind of essentially what the province and city, what direction we're going with it now? Yeah, absolutely. So Coles Notes version, I mean, primary use short-term rentals, they are going to be no longer. Yeah. And so all of our condos downtown, Brooklyn, anything on St. Paul's, Sunset, that were used uh, primarily as a short-term rental. So something like this is where an owner might use it two, three weeks of the year, and then they offset the cost of the property by short-term renting it. Those are gonna be non-existent anymore. So also for secondary use properties. So if you own a home and you rent it out, you live in it primarily, and then you wanna rent it out and make some cash off of it when you're say traveling, there's gonna be no new licenses for that. They will grandfather licenses that are current so long as they can get through the gates of the provincial legislation, which we don't really know what that registration looks like yet. Yeah, That's still a really gray area, unfortunately. So, you know, I'm just wondering what they're going to put in front of us with that, what complications will come with that. Yeah. And we are still awaiting information on the actual buildings that the city will 
try and apply to have an exemption for if they choose to do that whatsoever. So I've been getting a lot of mixed messages that, you know, there's a possibility that properties that are more resort style and they have pools, these properties might be safe. And then I'm also hearing that, no, nothing's safe. So it's very gray still. And I was hoping to get a lot more information than I did on the last council meeting, but we're really still kind of stuck in the middle, all of this, not really knowing how to direct our clients. Yeah. So when the provincial came down, obviously that was a big hit, but were you expecting what the city did after or like, did that come out of nowhere? No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't either. Yeah. From the conversations that I'd had, I thought the provincial implications were strong enough that, you know, we can take that brunt first and see how that works. And then if it's not working and the city decides that they want to strengthen the legislation, sure. But right off the bat, no, I did not think that they were going to go ahead and make it an even worse situation for us. I didn't think so either. You know, like when they had that town hall meeting that Taylor and Emily went to, you guys were talking to the city about making the pushback in the province to make less rules. And then they come down and add more on top. That honestly shocked me, especially after when we talked to Ryan on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a little betrayed, honestly. (laughs) He did not mention that. No, like Ryan was like, Fairly, I don't want to say optimistic, but he was like, you know, like there's some dynamic flexibility here. We're going to approach it like collectively and be realistic about it. And then, yeah, Amanda, you were at the hearing as well. Like I saw you there and it was a fairly positive vibe I got out of it. Like the majority of the population that was there were speaking pro short-term rentals. A lot of the council, they're like, yeah, let's defer this until we have a better idea. And then, yeah, I'd feel a little caught off guard from it. Yeah, it was really strange for me. I mean, I just can't imagine I own a home, I leave for Europe for a month, I can't rent it out on Airbnb, I can't even get a license for it to try and make a little bit of extra cash on the side. It just, it seems so limiting. I don't want to use the word unfair, because I kind of think it's cliche, but it's not fair. And it seems really wrong to me. But yeah, I was honestly really shocked myself. Yeah. Also, you think about the city approving all these permits for Brooklyn and Aqua and like other ones too, where it's like short-term rentals allowed. And they just say, never mind, take all that back. It's just kind of like a total 180 on the policy. Yeah. 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 With the exemptions, Amanda, like we need to see 3% vacancy before they go through that exemption process, or is it like they're still applying for it and there may be something granted within certain buildings? So the vacancy rate, the 3%, that would be as far as having the city be exempt. So then the city can create its own rules within the municipality, right? They'd be exempt from the provincial legislation. And to be able to get to that, we'd have to have that 3% vacancy rate for two years. Then we can apply. And who knows how long that process is. The exemptions that I'm talking about, I don't even know if they'd be called an exemption per se, but it's the city coming to the province saying like, hey, we have Playa del Sol. It's been here for X amount of years. It's a resort style community. This is all it's ever been here for. Or Barona Beach in West Kelowna. We still need to have these because this is primary use as a hotel or resort. So that's what we're waiting to get the information on. Okay. And then places like Aqua that are sold as... (laughs) short-term rental like so there's going to be a lot of people without obviously not going to be able to use it as what they bought it for but then when you have a lot of these it could flood the market drop down the price of the condos we were just talking in my office yesterday like what happens if 20 percent of these people their financing doesn't get approved because their units don't appraise out well exactly 
the mortgage rates. They're going to lose their deposit if they walk away. What more, happens? more than the deposit, like you could get sued for damages. Yeah. Yeah. From the disclosure, for sure. I just want to say with the 3%, like I don't think we've seen 3% vacancy since 2012. So we are like yeah, miles and miles away from and that. And even in 2012, I don't think it was for two years. No. So yeah. like, I don't think that it would even work. Yeah. So there was a really good article from the Times and it was about Victoria. So I kind of took the numbers from there reached out to yourself and a few other people and kind of did a little bit of high level data research. So roughly like we have about four times as many units than Victoria does within Kelowna. Wait, Kelowna does like yeah. short-term rental units or yeah. total units? Short-term rental units. So okay. I just took that as the multiplier. So we've got about, I think it's about 2,400 more or less units and they're essentially going to bring that down say 400 and they're not going to give any new business licenses. So we're only going to really see that number decline. But by using those numbers and multiplying pretty much everything five, four, and then it's even more conservative. So I use like $80 million of revenue for Kelowna's tourism revenue. However, it says here in a statement, Kelowna's $2 billion visitor economy attracts nearly 2 million visitors annually, who in turn generate 13,000 jobs. 204 million in tax revenue and 443 million in direct spending at local businesses. So anyways, I used 80 million for the revenue that we're injecting into the Kelowna economy for Airbnb. It's obviously far greater than that. But basically, if you use those numbers to put 2000 units back on the market, so we've got 2400 units now, bringing it down to say 400, people are either going to sell their property or keep it as a secondary home or put a long-term tenant on it. Over the next 10 years, cost to the city, that will be $831 million. So if you divide that by the 2,000 units over the 10 years, it's $415,000 per unit. It's basically costing the city $415,000 to put either you know a rental property or force somebody to sell. So in Victoria, it was actually like $770,000 a unit. It's costing the city to put them back on the market. My question is, and I guess this kind of goes to Matt more, is like for $415,000, could the city not like take that revenue and put it to use to build units? Like they could easily build affordable housing for $415,000. To me, it doesn't seem like it's a solution. It's just moving money from one hand to the next hand. It's like, it's not providing... Affordable housing. Well, I think bottom line, we need to build more housing. I don't think that's even controversial at all. Like we need yeah. to build a lot more housing. But like you're saying 415000 costs a city or you mean it'll cost the city's economy? Cost the city's economy. So per unit. So it's costing the city's economy $830 million over the next 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Don't you think they could yeah. build an absolute ton with that like obviously that gets split up between you know it goes into business owners pockets and then like local restaurants and stuff but like the money's being injected into the economy that way now that's not to say i guess the argument would be well now people can start staying at hotels more or finding an alternative state but we just don't have the capacity for that but yeah it was a super interesting article so i just kind of like you know digested it a bit and threw those numbers kind of into the Kelowna market and doesn't really achieve what they're trying to achieve for affordable housing have you sent that to the city? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I was just drafting it up. He's like, I want to make sure you guys understand it first. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell by Matt's eyes. He's like, shut up. I don't... Too many I just, numbers. Honestly, it's a bit confusing. And also, like, if I go to a coffee shop and spend $5, city doesn't get $5. What do they get on that? Totally. Whatever property taxes the coffee shop place? I mean, 
looking at it from this article that was written for Victoria, yeah. obviously, I mean, there's a million different ways you could slice this. And I think what like McGill University came out with the first initiative to basically like provide ammunition to stop short-term rentals, like that's where it kind of derived from. So you could come up with like any data you want. This was just me being unbiased by finding an article from the Times. I mean, to make it more relatable is essentially you have 15 employees, you have a handful of properties, you have like generating a lot of income, paying taxes, and essentially the city's like taking that away from you. I guess, how are you pivoting? Like, where are you going next? Yeah, great question. It's so funny. I kind of did the opposite. Everybody went quiet and they're trying to minimize and downsize. And I put out the biggest marketing campaign that I'd done just to try and see what I could catch in other regions. Yeah. I was like, you know what? This is my opportunity to just go for it. And uh, we did wound up making a few really great connections and working on some deals right now that could, God, even triple the company if it works out. So I can't really talk about it quite yet, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, the idea behind it is I was like in the worst times, I've got to really just put my best foot forward and focus on marketing to the most broad level that I've ever done. And I think that we could possibly achieve those goals and just focusing on exempt land, indigenous land and Alpine communities, you know, possibly looking at going into the US or other provinces in Canada. I think that I just have to relinquish control as far as having to be there personally, because I've been very always on site, on hand and always here. And you don't necessarily have to run a management company like that. There are a lot of companies in the world that manage in other parts of the world and it's hands-free and they utilize computers and communication systems to do it. And you just have to have the proper SOPs and policies and whatnot to maintain the quality. So I think that's the shift I'm taking maybe more resort style work, like we've really got with the design, the cleaning and the management, we can kind of encompass that hotel-like structure. So that's a service almost as one service that I could sell potentially. And we are looking at doing that as well. So I've got a few things happening. I'm not sure exactly which path is going to be the one we walk down, but I'm not scared. I can tell you that. Honestly, that is the best way to look at it. Like it's kind of happened not really anything you can do about it, right? So you just adapt and overcome, right? I feel like that's kind of really the only option at this point. Obviously, you still want to like... Advocate? Yeah, advocate. Yeah, you want to advocate for what you want, but like at the same time, life goes on. So you have to adapt and go on. You know, I have been looking at it as this kind of bittersweet thing as well, because when it all first happened, it happened right after the fire. So we just got nailed this year with all things in this industry. It's a really difficult industry to stay afloat on. You know, it's very seasonal. We're very subject to weather and anything with the economy. So it's a tough business to run, but... Yeah, I think just keeping an open mind and staying positive and hoping that this will actually maybe strengthen the market a little bit in the sense that what's left is going to be worth a lot more and restructuring so that maybe we work a little bit less and we're making more money on properties that we're managing. It was getting saturated. Like the profit margins were getting thin. That was partly due to interest rates going up and you know the cost of these units for transactions. So I think it was about to self-regulate anyways. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And I do wish that there was maybe a, a different approach to all of this. Like if this city was properly policing what's going on, like we had almost half of the rentals on the market were illegal. 
So if you take that away, would this have looked like, you know, what would the business have looked like entirely? And would we see that these short-term rentals are actually affecting the housing market or are they not really? Like if you take those 50% away, is a dent going to be created or will it not? So that's an interesting piece to this all as well. Yeah, I thought a good piece of the legislation was they said you had to have the business license posted on the Airbnb listing. I thought that was a pretty Mm -hmm. good idea. You know, I think probably we already have to have the business license number in the listing, but people just don't. And I think what they're going to do is make it mandatory. So in cities like Vancouver, you actually can't even get past the point of clicking the list button without putting the license number in. And the Airbnb communicates with the city and they can see that license and then they approve the listing. Yeah. So I that's what we're going to be more looking at in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So do you know, there's like a hotel tax that's associated with the Airbnb platform, right? That's supposed to then go to the city to be like deployed for tourism use or maybe just general income for the city to use. So again, back to this report for Victoria, I think they were getting about $500,000 from that, from the booking platform. So Kelowna is going to be getting more than that. But a lot of that money is like Airbnb fees are going to go like to Airbnb. So I've said this before, like why would the city not create its own like online booking app if they're going to generate that much income from it and use the income, you know, specifically for the community then? Great idea. I mean, that would be amazing if they could figure out the technology to do it. I guess a private booking site would be simple. But again, how do you force people to do that? How do you say you can't use Airbnb or VRBO? You have to use our city's booking platform. Well, I mean, they're doing it. They're forcing them right now. I guess it's possible, I guess. Leave it with Matt and I. We're pretty tech savvy. (laughs) There you go. You guys should pitch the city. It's perfect plan. Next time we have Ryan on, we won't let him leave until he agrees. (laughs) So like, what about people that have bookings this summer? Like, are they canceled? Are they not canceled? Are they, what are they up to right now? Like what's happening? Yeah. Great question. And also such a gray area. You know, I didn't know what was right, what's wrong, because still we're sitting in this space where our sunset listing is going to be okay is Plato Soul going to be okay yeah. taking reservations. And I did stop. I said, okay, we need to block the calendars until this is figured out. And the reason behind that is not with Airbnb, but with private booking platforms, VRBO, we do pay processing fees and the processing fees are about 3%, sometimes 4%. And whether that stay cancels or doesn't, we lose that, right? So when it comes to having 60, 70 listings and we have X amount of reservations through VRBO, it's going to be a huge loss to my company to be taking those reservations. It impacts the guests too. It's like they think they got this reservation and you know then you cancel on them. So it's tough though, because I'd also love to be able to take the reservations, hoping that there will be a positive spin on all of this, but we just don't know. I don't know what's right or what's wrong in that situation. Yeah. I guess options for people that currently own an Airbnb unit, they either put it back on the long-term market or they sell it. Well, because everyone's going to be listing at the same time. Prices are going to go down as far as sales go. Variable rate mortgages are high. The rent prices are going to drop. So are people going to be able to cover their expenses? You know, you're not going to cash flow. I can tell you that for sure. But is it maybe holding on to the property until things level out? I'd say another option would be midterm rentals. So right now our midterm rentals are 30 day stays or more, but we also still have this gray area with the city as to whether they're going to adopt the 90 day threshold for midterm rentals or anything under 90 days being considered a short-term rental, or if they'll stay with 
30, because if it goes to 90 days, the midterm rental market is also crushed. Is there a point, like anything over 30 days, like if somebody stays 40 days, it's considered short term. Like what are they trying to achieve by that? Because they could just sign a BC tenancy agreement and then they could leave, right? Like there's no protection to the landlord for somebody that wants to come for 40 or 50 days. No. True. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just more, they're really trying to protect the long-term rental housing market. So even the 30-day stays they don't want because the three-month stays could potentially help somebody out. For me, that part of it, I don't think that there's any rhyme or reason to be making that change. I think that they need to look at corporate travelers, people staying in hospitals, like those 30-day stays are pretty popular and they're needed. So like, look at what happened with the fires. You're going to have fires. It's going to get worse and worse every single year. Where are all these people going to stay? Taylor Sos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's a super valid point. I actually, yeah. I know someone that is still evacuated from her house and she's staying in an Airbnb. Yeah. And it's like, right. how is the remediation not complete yet? So, so then it goes, well, come May, she goes back to a hotel. Like, that's just insane. Yeah, there's just so many things. I think they thought of really one angle of all of this and didn't consider this whole other side to it, you know, and obviously we'll see the effects of that and just time will tell and the city will have to, or the province and the city will have to adjust as they feel is needed, I guess. Yeah. So Amanda, has Airbnb said anything about this in BC? You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they hold meetings. So we actually have a specific rep that yeah. most hosts with companies the size of mine would have a particular rep that they deal with. And okay. there's forms, and meetings and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, we've sent so many letters and so many statements and there's been so many meetings that it almost feels exhausted to a point where it's just nothing's really going anywhere. The decision's final. And I don't really think they're looking at much outside of the decision being final. What about, is there other jurisdictions where this has happened? Yeah, Quebec had some pretty crazy legislation issues and a $50,000 fine, I think, was implemented if you get caught operating in a non-licensed rental. New York, I think it was the catalyst. That's where it all started. Oh, really? Yeah, New York was big. They shut them all down there. But it's almost just having this kind of effect where it's just kind of flowing through all jurisdictions right now and cities and municipalities because it has become a problem, I guess, to an extent that there's maybe too many of these rentals and they need to be more strict. But maybe this strict just wasn't the best thing to do. Like, I'm surprised that Airbnb as a company isn't out like doing a PR campaign because I feel like this is a bleed that's just not going to stop. I was watching the football game on the weekend and they saw like 20 commercials for VRBO. And the commercial is VRBO, stay here. The owners are never home. It's basically their slogan. Like that hasn't been legal in a long time. You know, so like right. I, it's kind of like get with the program, at least for here. Right. So I don't know. I just feel like we should be hearing from them more. You know, like it's their business. Yeah, I think that they do. I definitely think that they advocate. I understand what you're saying. It is a little bit quiet. I don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. I also don't really know that there's much that they can do. They're not well liked by government, you know, yeah. it just is what it is at this point. And I do think it's just going to get worse and worse. BC really piloted this move. And I think it's going to continue through provinces as time goes by. Well, this is exactly what I'm saying. So like, I saw this poll, I can't remember where it was. So like, it's not entirely fake news, but I wouldn't say it's real. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was something like 80% of BC people liked this legislation. Something crazy like that, over 70. And I just feel like if other governments, regardless left or right or anything, see that many people approve of it, it's just going to go BC, Alberta, 
Saskatchewan. Just going to go to all of them. Yeah. I feel like Airbnb should be having a commercial, like PR campaign saying like, listen, these are the good things we do for our community. Where do you stay at the hospital? What do you do if you want to visit a place and you don't want to stay in a hotel? Like, yeah. what if, you know, like they should be out there trying to put a better face on this because I just, it's going to spread. Well, and how surprising was that response? I mean, I guess that in the realm of people that I communicate with and entrepreneurs and realtors yeah. and all we're very supportive and pro of this industry and realized that there was such a hate on it. I think I was actually really blind sided when all of that went down. I was like, what is, who are these people? Where do they come from? I think you actually put a post Instagram or TikTok or something. TikTok. Yeah. Did you just not get destroyed over it? Like, I'm sorry to bring this up. If it was like, no, I was going to bring it up. First of all, Okay, so what happened is I did an interview with Kelowna Now. Kelowna Now then put it on TikTok. And I had no idea what was going on. And I had this guy (laughs) message me in my Instagram DMs. He's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, good. Why? What's going on? He's like, that TikTok post. I was like, what TikTok post? I haven't seen a TikTok post. I log into TikTok. There was over 16,000 comments so derogatory yeah. terrible like first of all people thought that i owned all of these yeah I, I saw that too yeah and i was like well it'd be pretty sweet if i did yeah. but no i don't the struggling entrepreneur here just have a three and a half year old company trying to get by the manager <laughs> the property manager i don't own them but yeah. the likes that people went to like they would capture the video and then they would mock me and ask me if my well they'd say like my hair was a mop and my botox <laughs> is terrible and you think with all the money i make i'd have better fake lips and i I was like, wow, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, yeah, it was, they exist. Those people do not like Airbnb apparently. And they did not like my company or myself. Yeah. You know, like I was talking to some realtors and we are in a bubble, like in real estate land, this is like hell on earth right? This short-term rental thing. But with the rest of the people, I think it's not like that. I had a plumber at my house fixing my fireplace. I told him I was a realtor. He's like, oh yeah, these Airbnbs are canceled. He's like, I'll finally be able to buy a house. That is interesting. And then I asked my barber and he's like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'll finally be able to buy a house. And like, I start realizing that everybody that's not in the industry directly, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of way to look at it, right? So, so Matt just starts handing out his business card. He's like, yeah, definitely. I agree with you. Yeah. Airbnb <laughs> sucks. Here's my, yeah. Let's buy a house. I'm not agree or disagree. I'm just saying it's just that. I know. The way I it know. Is. But like, we're all just speculating at this point. Like, have they done a sense of like, where do they get these stats from? Is there uh, a vote on it? Or are they looking at TikTok and being like, oh yeah, there's 16,000 bad comments. Yeah. 70% of the population doesn't like this. I think it's the votes that come in, like through Castanet or whatever, people that are happy or sad. I mean, I got people calling my phone, my phone's listed online, they were sending me hate emails, oh and I'm God. smiling because I take it with a grain of salt. Like, it did not affect me, but wow, it's eye-opening. Yeah. Like, there's this whole other side to people. We're always very biased to, like, what is beneficial to us, Yeah. right? So, yeah. of course, I want to save my company and help my team and my staff and other people think that by eliminating companies like mine, they're going to be able to get into the real estate market, which yeah. I don't think is correct to any extent. But, you know, we always take whichever side is to our benefit, right? Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, I think so. Everyone's saying, well, it's going to take off rentals off the market. It's going to take rentals off the market. But I think the idea is the government, they put in policies like this, they drop the price, even if it's a little bit, and then more renters are no longer renters. They get into the housing market and then they're homeowners. So you get basically more homeowners is the idea. I don't think that's going to have like a major effect. I don't think all of a sudden like 30% more people are going to buy houses. I think it's probably 3% or 2% more people can buy a house. 
But I think that's the idea. I know, but I mean, then the values are going to go down on these properties. So people yeah. that bought high are going to lose money. So it's like you're taking from yeah. Peter to Paul or whatever that scenario is. And it's like, you know, what I said in one of the interviews that I did is like, these are supposed to be well-balanced decisions for the communities, yeah. not how do we take from this person and give to this person because that's not balanced. That's not helping this person here if you're helping this person here. Um, it's tough. Totally. I mean, I've worked 16 hour days for years and years, you know, I think that certain people are in a position because of the things that they've done and how hard they've worked. And it's tough out there. I get it. No, I do want to highlight something there. Like, that's the whole frustration I have is like, they're training narrative that like, oh, we're taking it from this super wealthy person. Like, oh, Amanda has 2400 units in Kelowna and she's uber wealthy <laughs> and we're going to break it down and spread it out between like you know people that are in more need but it's really most people that have an Airbnb have one unit maybe or it's their basement suite or something it's not like this massive corporation you know the shell corp owns 100 units and they're like making millions off this so i mean no. to take it to your point like you're local from Kelowna you started this company a few years ago. How did you come upon like finding this company? Like you basically, you were a mortgage broker, right? And you had to kind of hustle a bit and that's where it started from? Yeah. So it's actually, it was a total fluke. I was an insurance broker for 11 years. I was turning 30. I was like, I cannot do the same job from 19 <laughs> into my 30s. So I got mortgage broker license. Nice. I just thought, fast forward 10 years, I'll be 40, then 50. And I've never done anything else. Mortgage broker's license, renovated the basement suite of my house, rented out the top two floors on Airbnb after I redesigned it. When I was living in the basement suite there, Airbnb contacted me. They made it the first plus listing in the area. Airbnb plus doesn't exist anymore, but it's like the luxury. Yep. It was before luxury homes were even on the market with Airbnb. And I just started thinking like, what if I could design properties and manage them for a living? And yeah, fast forward, I don't know how many setups. I think we've listed over a hundred homes in the last three and a half years. And it all started from my one property. That's it. And it was just a fluke. It was like it took off and I had an idea and I put it out to the world and here we go. That's amazing. But I mean, it's that not just a fluke. Like there's a ton of risk and energy and investment. Like I think that's the story that needs to be highlighted is like, you know, people like yourself and us who are entrepreneurs and ambitious and creative, like you're trying to do something out of the box you're trying to help others and yeah, you should be rewarded for taking that risk. But unfortunately, this one's kind of a slap in the face to a lot of us. So, Yeah, to investors and just touch on your last point about people that this is affecting people that have one Airbnb, you know, they don't have a ton of them and they put everything that they had into being able to buy that Airbnb, yeah. you know, and they're struggling to cash flow with that Airbnb, with the way the market is right now and the interest rates. So it's not like they're taking from wealthy people. That's not who this is impacting at all. It's very interesting to me, just the perspective, I should say, on all of this. Also, yeah. now when you go to sell it, like you're going against 2,400 other ones or 2,000, right? So exactly. like it's a, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting... There's an opportunity for you there, Matt. You market yourself as the uh, discount Airbnb resale. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to call yourself, but... Yeah. Okay, well, we know you're swamped with a bunch of different things. So we're going to jump into our kind of final questions for you. Sure. This is kind of a funny one, but if you could buy a property in the Okanagan in the next 12 months, 
what would it be? A discounted Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Um, no. Okay. I would actually buy up at an Alpine community. I buy up at Big White, not because I think I'm going to make a ton of money off of it, but because I want to build our business up there. And I'd like to have a place up there to utilize and for my staff to utilize while we're up there, but also be able to take the opportunity to bring some cash in maybe one week a month or something to offset the cost. That is where I would invest. And I've always wanted up in the woods in the snow. So it's kind of like a work pleasure, personal purchase is what I would be gearing towards. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best thing you've ever spent a little bit of money on or a lot of bit of money? Real estate. Yes. Nice. Yeah, there's not even a close second to that. (laughs) Um, I bought two houses by the time I was 25. Yeah, sold them at a really great time. And it gave me the money to buy the house that I have now, which was the catalyst to my whole business. So yeah, that would have been my best purchase for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Even now, I think we need to linger on this point for a minute. Even now with like condos are for sure going to take a hit in the next 12 months, I'd say. In the long term, I think you're still good to buy them. The long term, I mean, three to five years and obviously past that, but I think you're still good in the long term for the value of that of those places, especially in Kelowna. We're a nice place and people want to come here. They might not have anywhere to stay when they get here. They still want to come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your favorite charity or how do you give back? Yeah. So um, the Okanagan Humane Society, we actually held a comedy show at Dakota Sports Lounge for them in the fall. So that's a really great charity and I'm a total sucker for animals. And then I think, you know, Mamas for Mamas is a big one. I love what they do. They're going national now across Canada. I think it's a really impressive organization. Obviously love supporting them at the events that they put on. So they're pretty fun too. So it's always a good time. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that's an awesome one. I didn't know they were going national. That's wicked. Yeah, yeah. They're branching out lots. So it's pretty cool. It's growing fast. Cool. That is very cool. All yeah. right. How can we or our listeners help you help you grow your business? Your next one? What can we do for you? Oh, geez, my next one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we're looking for properties in exempt communities. So yeah. indigenous land, alpine communities, international outside of BC. I'm really open to any opportunity that's coming my way. It comes my way. I'm also developing a course. So if people are interested in getting in on this business and want to do it without losing the tens of the thousands of dollars that I've lost in all my mistakes. I've got a really good way to streamline that for you coming out. So yeah, that'd be another thing to support. I think if if you needed it. That is super cool. Yeah. That's awesome. You're doing online course or? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, very in depth. So I'm working with a course creator, copywriter, and it's absolutely every tool that we use, how we use them, our calculators, all of our spreadsheets, the accounting module, the accounting has been the biggest struggle in this business. It's very, very complicated. Yeah. We have an in-house CGA now, so we've really dialed in our processes with that. And so, yeah, for one package price, I can share it to the world. <laughs> that's cool. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Has anyone ever yeah, done that before? Yeah. Like, are there courses out there? There's courses out there. What I have not seen yet is like, we've got the design. So The idea behind my course is I'm going to be showing people not only the blueprint to how to host, how it was built, how we do everything, but also how I vertically integrated it. So building the design company, building the cleaning company, which has really sustained our revenue in the off season, but it's also really helped us maintain our staff because it's really difficult to have a seasonal business. You lose your staff in the winter, retrain and find new people in the summer, but this maintain them. Right. And so we've got people that are up at the Hill now and they'll come down here in the summer. So wanting to show people how we've structured that and built that and what a difference it's made. 
on as far as profits go. I mean, we're all here to make money, right? So cool. Yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Anything else you yeah. want to touch on, Amanda? Anything that we missed or? I don't think so. I think that was a great chat and we talked about a lot of it. If people want to reach out, they always can. If they have any questions, it's Amanda at howtohost.ca. And I'm an open book and always happy to chat. I never really shut up. So <laughs> they can reach out anytime you want. Cool. I love it. It's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming on. Well. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.